0: who is here, Senator Wicker, as well as our chairwoman, uh, Maria Cantwell, Senator Cantwell, I'm sure will be here shortly. Uh, Most important, I'd like to thank our witness, Frances Haugen, uh, for being here, and the two counsel who are representing her today. And uh, I want to give you my heartfelt gratitude for your courage, and strength in coming forward as you have done, standing up to one of the most powerful, implacable corporate giants in the history of the world, without any exaggeration. You have a compelling, credible voice, which we've heard already. But you are not here alone. You're armed with documents and evidence. And you speak volumes As they do about how Facebook has put profits ahead of people. Among other revelations, the information that you have provided to Congress is powerful proof that Facebook knew its products were harming teenagers. Facebook exploited teens using powerful algorithms that amplified their insecurities and abuses through what it found was an addict's narrative. There is a question, which I hope you will discuss, as to whether there is such a thing as a safe algorithm. Facebook saw teens creating secret accounts that are often hidden from their parents as unique value proposition. In their words, a unique value proposition a way to drive up numbers for advertisers and shareholders at the expense of safety. And it doubled down on targeting children, pushing products on preteens not just teens, but pre-teens, that it knows are harmful to our kids' mental health and well-being. Instead of telling parents, Facebook concealed the facts. It sought to stonewall and block this information from becoming public, including to this committee, when Senator Blackburn and I specifically asked the company. And still, even now, as of just last Thursday, when a Facebook witness came before this committee, it has refused disclosure, or even to tell us when it might decide whether to disclose additional documents. And they've continued their tactics even after they knew the destruction it caused. It isn't just that they made money from these practices, but they continued to profit from them. Their profit was more important than the pain that they caused. Last Thursday, the message from Ms. Antigone Davis, Facebook's global head of safety, was simple. Quote, this research is not a bombshell, end quote. And she repeated the line, not a bombshell. Well, this research is the very definition of a bombshell. Facebook and Big Tech are facing a Big Tobacco moment, a moment of reckoning. The parallel is striking. I sued Big Tobacco as Connecticut's Attorney General. I helped to lead the states in that legal action. And I remember very, very well the moment In the course of our litigation, when we learned of those files that showed not only that Big Tobacco knew that its product caused cancer, but that they had done the research, they concealed the files, and now we knew, and the world knew, and Big Tech now faces that Big Tobacco jaw-dropping moment of truth. It is documented proof that Facebook knows its products can be addictive and toxic to children. And it's not just that they made money, again, it's that they valued their profit more than the pain that they caused to children and their families. The damage to self-interest and self-worth inflicted by Facebook today will haunt a generation. Feelings of inadequacy and insecurity, rejection, and self-hatred will impact this generation for years to come. Our children are the ones who are victims. Teens today looking at themselves in the mirror feel doubt and insecurity. Mark Zuckerberg ought to be looking at himself in the mirror today. And yet, rather than taking responsibility and showing leadership, Mr. Zuckerberg is going sailing. His new modus operandi, no apologies, no admission, no action, nothing to see here. Mark Zuckerberg, you need to come before this committee. You need to explain to Francis Haugen, to us, to the world, and to the parents of America, what you were doing and why you did it. Instagram's business model is pretty straightforward, more eyeballs, more dollars. Everything Facebook does is to add more users and keep them on their apps for longer. In order to hook us, Instagram uses our private information to precisely target us with content and recommendations, assessing that what will provoke a reaction will keep us scrolling. Far too often, these recommendations encourage our most destructive and dangerous behaviors. As we showed on Thursday, we created a fake account, my office and I did, as a teen interested in extreme dieting and eating disorders. Instagram latched onto that teenager's initial insecurities and then pushed more content and recommendations. Glorifying eating disorders. That's how Instagram's algorithms can push teens into darker and darker places. Facebook's own researchers called it Instagram's, quote, perfect storm, exacerbating downward spirals. Facebook, as you have put it, Ms. Haugen so powerfully maximizes profits, And researchers have suggested changing their recommendations to stop promoting accounts known to encourage dangerous body comparison. Instead of making meaningful changes, Facebook simply pays lip service. And if they won't act, and if big tech won't act, Congress has to intervene. Privacy protection is long overdue. Senator Markey and I have introduced the Kids Act, which would ban addictive tactics that Facebook uses to exploit children. Parents deserve better tools to protect their children. I'm also a firm supporter of reforming Section 230. We should consider narrowing this sweeping immunity when platforms algorithms amplify illegal conduct. You've commented on this in your testimony and perhaps you'll expand on it. We have also heard compelling recommendations about requiring disclosures of research and independent reviews of these platforms algorithm, and I plan to pursue these ideas. The Securities and Exchange Commission should investigate your contentions and claims, Ms. Haugen, and so should the Federal Trade Commission. Facebook appears to have misled the public and investors, and if that's correct, it ought to face real penalties as a result of that misleading and deceptive misrepresentation. I want to thank all my colleagues who are here today because what we have is a bipartisan congressional roadmap for reform that will safeguard and protect children from big tech. That will be a focus of our subcommittee moving forward, and it will continue to be bipartisan. And finally, I'll just end on this note. In the past weeks and days, parents have contacted me with their stories, heartbreaking and spine-chilling stories, about children pushed into eating disorders, bullying online, self-injury of the most disturbing kind, and sometimes even taking their lives because of social media. Parents are holding Facebook accountable because of your bravery, Ms. Haugen, and we need to hold accountable Facebook and all big tech as well. Again, my thanks to you. I am going to enter into the record a letter from 52 state attorneys general and from two members of the Youth Advisory Board of Sandy Hook Promise, as long as there's no objection. And I will now turn to the ranking member, Senator Blackburn.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you for entering that letter in the record that we have from our state's attorneys general. Good morning to everyone. It is nice to see people in this hearing room and uh, to be here for the hearing today. Ms. Hagen, we thank you. For your appearance before us today, and for giving the opportunity not only for Congress but for uh, for the American people to hear from you in this setting, and we appreciate that, Mr. Chairman. I think also thanks to you and your staff uh, that have worked with our team to make certain that we had this hearing and this opportunity uh, today, so that we can get more insights into what Facebook is actually doing as they invade the privacy, not only of adults, but of children. And look at the ways that they are in violation of the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, which is federal law. And looking at how they are evading that law and working around it. And as the chairman said, Uh, Privacy and online privacy, passing a federal privacy standard has been long in the works. I filed my first privacy bill when I was in the House uh, back in 2012, and I think that it will be this Congress and this subcommittee that is going to lead the way to online privacy, data security, Section 230 reforms, And, of course, Senator Klobuchar always wants to talk about antitrust. And I have to give a nod. Senator Markey is down there. When we were in the House, we were probably two of the only ones who were talking about the need to have a federal privacy standard. Now, as the chairman mentioned, last week, we heard from Mrs. Davis, who heads global safety for Facebook. And it was surprising to us that what she tried to do was to minimize the information that was in these documents, to minimize the research, and to minimize the knowledge that Facebook had. At one point, I even reminded her the research was not third-party research. The research was there, Facebook's internal research. So they knew what they were doing. They knew where the violations were. And they know they are guilty. They know this. Their research tells them this. Um, Last week, in advance of our hearing, Facebook released two studies and said that the Wall Street Journal was all wrong. They had just gotten it wrong, as if the Wall Street Journal did not know how to read these documents and how to work through this research. Having seen the data that you've presented and the other studies that Facebook did not publicly share, I feel pretty confident that it's Facebook who has done the misrepresenting to this committee. Here are some of the numbers that Facebook chose not to share. And Mr. Chairman, I think it's important that we look at these as we talk about the setting for this hearing, what we learned last week, what you and I have been learning over the past three years about Big Tech and Facebook. And here you go, 66% of teen girls on Instagram and 40% of teen boys experience negative social comparisons. This is Facebook's research. 52% of teen girls who experienced negative social comparison on Instagram said it was caused by images related to beauty. Social comparison is worse on Instagram because it is perceived as real life, but based on celebrity standards. Social comparison mimics the grief cycle and includes a downward emotional spiral, encompassing a range of emotions from jealousy to self-proclaimed body dysmorphia. Facebook addiction, which Facebook calls, conveniently, problematic use, is most severe in teens, peaking at age 14. Here's what else we know. Facebook is not interested in making significant changes to improve kids' safety on their platforms, at least not when that would result in losing eyeballs on posts or decreasing their ad revenues. In fact, Facebook is running scared, as they know that in their own words, young adults are less active and less engaged on Facebook, and that they are running out of teens to add to Instagram. So teens are looking at other platforms like TikTok, and Facebook is only making those changes that add to its users' numbers, and ultimately, its profits. Follow the money. So what are these changes? Allowing users to create multiple accounts that Facebook does not delete, and encouraging teens to create second accounts they can hide from their parents. They are also studying younger and younger children as young as eight so that they can market to them. And while Miss Davis says that kids below 13 are not allowed on Facebook or Instagram, we know that they are because she told us that they recently had deleted 600,000 accounts from children under age 13. So how do you get that many underage accounts if you aren't turning a blind eye to them in the first place? And then, in order to try to clean it up, you go to delete it, and then you say, oh, by the way, we just, in the last month, deleted 600,000 underage accounts. And speaking of turning a blind eye, Facebook turns a blind eye to user privacy. News broke yesterday that the private data of over 1.5 billion, that's right, 1.5 billion Facebook users is being sold on a hacking forum. That's its biggest data breach to date. Examples like this underscore my strong concerns about Facebook collecting the data of kids and teens and what they are doing with it. Facebook also turns a blind eye toward blatant human exploitation, taking place on its platform, trafficking, forced labor, cartels, the worst possible things one can imagine. Big tech companies have gotten away with abusing consumers for too long. It is clear that Facebook prioritizes profit over the well-being of children and all users, So as a mother and a grandmother, this is an issue that is of particular concern to me. So we thank you for being here today, Ms. Haugen, and we look forward to getting to the truth about what Facebook is doing with users' data and how they are abusing their privacy and how they show a lack of respect for the individuals that are on their network, we look forward to the testimony. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Thanks, Senator Black. Thank you, Senator Blackman. Uh, I don't know whether the Ranking Member would like to make. If, if you
2: don't mind, uh, thank you, um, Chairman Blumenthal, and and I will just take a, a moment or two. Uh, and and I do appreciate being able to to speak as Ranking Member of the full committee. This this Miss Hogan, this is a this is a subcommittee hearing. You see some vacant seats. Uh, There's pretty good attendance for our subcommittee. Uh, There are also a lot of things going on, so people will be coming and going. But I'm I'm willing to predict that this will have almost 100% attendance by members of the subcommittee because of the importance of this subject matter. So thanks for coming forward to share concerns about Facebook's business practices, particularly with respect to children and teens. And of course that is the, the main topic of our, is the title of our hearing today, Protecting Kids Online. The recent uh, revelations about Facebook's mental health effects on children and its plan to target younger audiences are indeed disturbing. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot of bipartisan concern about this today and, and in future hearings. Um, they just, they show how urgent it is for Congress to act against powerful tech companies on behalf of children and the broader public. And I say powerful tech companies, they are uh, possessive of immense, immense power. Their product is addictive and people on both sides of this dais are concerned about this. I uh, talked to an opinion maker um, just down the hall a few moments before this hearing. This person said the um, tech gods have been d- demystified now. And I think this hearing today, Mr. Chair, is a part of the process of demystifying big tech. Um, the children of America are hooked on their product It is often destructive and harmful, and there is a cynical knowledge on behalf of the leadership of these big tech companies that that is true. Uh, Ms. Hogan, I, I hope you will have a chance to talk about your work experience at Facebook and perhaps compare it to other social media companies. I also look forward to hearing your thoughts on how this committee and how this Congress can ensure greater accountability and transparency, especially with regard to children. So thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, Ms. Hogan, for being here today.
0: Thanks, Senator Wicker. Our witness this morning is Frances Haugen. She was the lead product manager on Facebook's civic misinformation team. She holds a degree in electrical and computer engineering from Olin College and an MBA from Harvard. She made the courageous decision, as all of us here and many others around the world know, to leave Facebook and reveal the terrible truths about the company she learned during her tenure there. And uh, I think we are all in agreement here in expressing our gratitude and our admiration for your bravery in coming forward. Thank you, Ms. Haugen. Please proceed.
3: Good afternoon, Chairman Blumenthal, Ranking Member Blackburn, and members of the subcommittee. Thank you for the opportunity to appear before you. My name is Francis Haugen. I used to work at Facebook. I joined Facebook because I think Facebook has the potential to bring out the best in us. But I'm here today because I believe Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. The company's leadership knows how to make Facebook and Instagram safer, but won't make the necessary changes because they have put their astronomical profits before people. Congressional action is needed. They won't solve this crisis without your help. Yesterday, we saw Facebook get taken off the internet. I don't know why I went down, but I know that for more than five hours, Facebook wasn't used to deepen divides, destabilize democracies, and make young girls and women feel bad about their bodies. It also means that millions of small businesses weren't able to reach potential customers, and countless photos of new babies weren't joyously celebrated by family and friends around the world. I believe in the potential of Facebook. We can have social media we enjoy that connects us without tearing our democr- apart our democracy, putting our children in danger, and sowing ethnic violence around the world we can do better. I have worked as a product manager at large tech companies since 2006, including Google, Pinterest, Yelp, and Facebook. My job has largely focused on algorithmic products like Google plus search and recommendation systems like the one that powers the Facebook newsfeed. Having worked on four different types of social networks, I understand how complex and nuanced these problems are. However, The choices being made inside of Facebook are disastrous for our children, for our public safety, for our privacy, and for our democracy. And that is why we must demand Facebook make changes. During my time at Facebook, first working as the lead product manager for civic misinformation, and later on counter espionage, I saw Facebook repeatedly encounter conflicts between its own profits and our safety. Facebook consistently resolved these conflicts in favor of its own profits. The result has been more division, more harm, more lies, more threats, and more combat. In some cases, this this dangerous online talk has led to actual violence that harms and even kills people. This is not simply a matter of certain social media users being angry or unstable, or about one side being radicalized against the other. It is about Facebook choosing to grow at all costs, becoming an almost trillion dollar company by buying its profits with our safety. During my time at Facebook, I came to realize a devastating truth. Almost no one outside of Facebook knows what happens inside of Facebook. The company intentionally hides vital information from the public, from the US government, and from governments around the world. The documents I have provided to Congress proved that Facebook has repeatedly misled the public about what its own research reveals about the safety of children, the efficacy of its artificial intelligence systems, and its role in spreading divisive and extreme messages. I came forward because I believe that every human being deserves the dignity of the truth. The severity of this crisis demands that we break out of our previous regulatory frames. Facebook wants to trick you into thinking that privacy protections or changes to Section 230 alone will be sufficient. While important, these will not get to the core of the issue, which is that no one truly understands the destructive choices made by Facebook except Facebook. We can afford nothing less than full transparency. As long as Facebook is operating in the shadows, hiding its research from public scrutiny, it is unaccountable. Until the incentives change, Facebook will not change. Left alone, Facebook will continue to make choices that go against the common good, our common good. When we realized big tobacco was hiding the harms it caused, the government took action. When we figured out cars were safer with seatbelts, the government took action. And when our government learned that opioids were taking lives, the government took action. I implore you to do the same here. Today, Facebook shapes our perception of the world by choosing the information we see. Even those who don't use Facebook are impacted by the majority who do. A company with such frightening influence over so many people, over their deepest thoughts, feelings and behavior, needs real oversight. But Facebook's closed design means it has no real oversight. Only Facebook knows how it personalizes your feed for you. At other large tech companies like Google, any independent researcher can download from the internet the company's search results and write papers about what they find. And they do. But Facebook hides behind walls that keeps researchers and regulators from understanding the true dynamics of their system. Facebook will tell you privacy means they can't give you data. This is not true. When tobacco companies claimed that filtered cigarettes were safer for consumers, Scientists could independently invalidate these marketing messages and confirm that, in fact, they pose a greater threat to human health. The public cannot do the same with Facebook. We are given no other option than to take their marketing messages on blind faith. Not only does the company hide most of its own data, my disclosure has proved that when Facebook is directly asked questions as important as, how do you impact the health and safety of our children, they mislead, and they uh, uh, they choose to mislead and misdirect. Facebook has not earned our blind faith. This inability to see into Facebook's actual systems and confirm how they work is communicated is, is, and work as com- and confirm that they work as communicated is like the Department of Transportation regulating cars by only watching them drive down the highway. Today, no regulator has a menu of solutions for how to fix Facebook. Because Facebook didn't want them to know enough about what's causing the problems. Otherwise, they wouldn't, otherwise, there wouldn't have been need for a whistleblower. How is the public supposed to assess if Facebook is resolving conflicts of interest in a way that is aligned with the public good if the public has no visibility into how Facebook operates? This must change. Facebook wants you to believe that the problems we're talking about are unsolvable. They want you to believe in false choices. They want you to believe that you must choose between a Facebook full of divisive and extreme content or losing one of the most important values our country was founded upon, free speech. That you must choose between public oversight of Facebook's choices and your personal privacy. That to be able to share fun photos of your kids with old friends, you must also be inundated with anger-driven virality. They want you to believe that this is just part of the deal. I am here today to tell you that's not true. These problems are solvable. A safer, free speech-respecting, more enjoyable social media is possible. But there is one thing that I hope everyone takes away from these disclosures. It is that Facebook can change, but is clearly not going to do so on its own. My fear is that without action, divisive and extremist behaviors we see today are only the beginning What we saw in Myanmar and are now seeing in Ethiopia are only the opening chapters of a story so terrifying, no one wants to read the end of it. Congress can change the rules that Facebook plays by and stop the many harms it is now causing. We now know the truth about Facebook's destructive impact. I really appreciate the seriousness which the members of Congress and the Securities and Exchange Commission are approaching these issues. I came forward at great personal risk because I believe we still have time to act, but we must act now. I'm asking you, our elected representatives, to act. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ms. Haugen. Thank you for taking that personal risk, and we will do anything and everything to protect and stop any retaliation against you and any legal action. that. The company may bring to bear or anyone else and we've made that i think very clear in the course of these proceedings Uh, i want to ask you about this idea of disclosure you've talked Mm -hmm. about uh, looking in effect at a car going down the Mm -hmm. road and we're going to have five minute rounds of questions maybe a second round if you're willing to do it Uh, we're here today to look under the hood. And that's what we need to do more. In August, Senator Blackburn and I wrote to Mark Zuckerberg and we asked him pretty straightforward questions about how the company works and safeguards children and teens on Instagram, Facebook Dodge, <laughs> Duff sidetracked, in effect, misled us. Uh, so I'm gonna ask you a, a few straightforward questions to break down some of what you have said, and Mm -hmm. if you can answer them yes or no, that would be great. Has Facebook's research, its own research, ever found that its platforms can have a negative effect on children and teens' mental health or well-being?
3: Many of Facebook's internal research reports indicate that uh, Facebook has a serious negative harm on a non-significant non- a significant portion of teenagers and, and younger and, and children.
0: And has Facebook ever offered features that it knew had a negative effect on children's and teens' mental health?
3: Facebook knows that its amplification algorithms, things like engagement-based ranking on Instagram, can lead children from very innocuous topics like healthy recipes. I think all of us could eat a little more healthy. Um, All the way from just something innocent like healthy recipes to anorexia promoting content over a very short period of time.
0: And has Facebook ever found, again in its research, that kids show sign of addiction on Instagram?
3: Facebook has studied a pattern that they call problematic use, what we might more commonly call addiction. Um, It has a very high bar for what it believes it is. It says you you, you self-identify that you don't have control over your usage and that it is materially harming your health, your schoolwork, or or your your physical health. Five to six percent of 14-year-olds have the self-awareness to admit both those questions. It is likely that far more than five to six percent of 14-year-olds are are, are addicted to, to Instagram.
0: Last Thursday, uh, my colleagues and I asked Ms. Davis, who was representing Facebook, about how the decision would be made whether to pause permanently Mm. Instagram for kids. And she said, quote, there's no one person who makes a decision like that. We think about it that collaboratively. It's as though she couldn't mention Mark Zuckerberg's name. Isn't he the one who will be making this decision from your experience in the company?
3: Mark holds a very unique role in uh, in the tech industry in that he holds uh, over 55% of all the voting shares for Facebook. Um, There are no similarly powerful companies that are as uh, unilaterally controlled. Um, And in in the end, the buck stops with Mark. There is no one currently holding Mark accountable but himself.
0: And Mark Zuckerberg, in effect, is the algorithm- designer-in-chief, correct?
3: Um, uh, I received an MBA from Harvard, and they emphasized to us that we are responsible for the organizations that we build. Um, Mark has built an organization that is very metrics-driven. It is intended to be flat. There is no unilateral responsibility. The metrics make the decision. Unfortunately, that itself is a decision. And in the end, if he is the CEO and the chairman of Facebook, he is responsible for those decisions.
0: The buck stops with him.
3: It, the buck stops with him.
0: Uh, and speaking of the buck stopping, uh, you have said that Facebook should declare moral bankruptcy. I agree. Yeah. I think uh. its its actions and its failure to acknowledge its responsibility indicate moral bankruptcy.
3: There is a cycle occurring inside the company where Facebook has struggled for a long time to recruit and retain the number of employees it needs to tackle the large scope of projects that it has chosen to take on. Facebook is stuck in a cycle where it struggles to, struggles to hire. Um, that causes it to understaff projects, which causes scandals, which then makes it harder to hire. Part of why Facebook needs to come out and say, we did something wrong. We made some choices that we regret. Is the only way we can move forward and heal Facebook is we first have to admit the truth. Like the way we'll have reconciliation and we can move forward is by first being honest and declaring moral bankruptcy.
0: Being honest and acknowledging that Facebook has caused and aggravated a lot of pain simply to make yeah. more money. And it has profited off spreading disinformation and misinformation and sowing hate. Facebook's Uh, answers to Facebook's destructive impact always seems to be more Facebook. We need more Facebook, which means more pain and more money for Facebook. Would you agree?
3: I don't think at any point Facebook set out to make a destructive platform. I think it is uh, a challenge of that Facebook has set up an organization where the parts of the organization responsible for growing and expanding the organization are separate and not not regularly cross-pollinated with the parts of the company that focus on the harms that the company is causing. And as a result, regularly, integrity actions, projects that were hard fought by the teams trying to keep us safe, are undone by new growth projects that counteract those same remedies. Um, So I do think it's a thing of there are organizational problems that need oversight, and Facebook needs help in order to move forward to a more healthy place.
0: And whether it's teens bullied into Mm-hmm. suicidal thoughts, or the genocide of ethnic minorities in uh, Myanmar, or fanning the flames of division within our own country or in Europe, they are ultimately responsible for the immorality of the pain that's caused.
3: Facebook needs to take responsibility for the consequences of its choices. Um, it needs to be willing to accept small trade-offs on profit. And I think, I think just that act of being able to admit that it's a mixed bag is important. And I think that what we saw from Antigone uh, last week is an example of the kind of behavior we need to support Facebook in growing out of, which is instead of just focusing on all the good they do, admit they have responsibilities to also remedy the harm.
0: But Mark Zuckerberg's new policy is no apologies, no admissions, no acknowledgment. Nothing to see here. We're going to deflect it and go sailing. Mm. I turn to the ranking member.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you for your testimony. Uh, I want to stay with Ms. Davis and some Mm. of her comments, because I had asked her last week about the underage Mm. users, and she had made the comment, I'm going to quote from her testimony, if we find an account of someone who's under 13, we remove them. In the last three months, we removed 600,000 accounts of under 13 year olds, end quote. And I have to tell you, it seems to me that there's a problem if you have 600,000 accounts from children who ought not to be there in the first place. So what did Mark Zuckerberg know about Facebook's plans to bring kids
3: on as new users and advertise to them? Uh, there are reports within Facebook that show cohort analyses where they, they examine at what ages do people join Facebook and Instagram. And based on those cohort analyses, um, so Facebook likes to say children lie about their ages to get onto the platform. Mm-hmm. The reality is enough kids tell the truth that you can work backwards to figure out what are approximately the real ages of anyone who's on the platform. Um, when Facebook does cohort analyses and looks back retrospectively, it discovers things like you know, up to 10 to 15% of even 10-year-olds in a given cohort may be on Facebook or Instagram. Um, okay,
1: so this is why Adam Masseri, who's the CEO of Instagram, would have replied to Jojo Siwa When she said to him, oh, I've been on Instagram since I was eight, he said he didn't want to know that. Ah, So it would be for this reason, correct?
3: Um, A a pattern of behavior that I saw at Facebook was that often problems were so understaffed that there was kind of an implicit discouragement from having better detection systems. So, for example, I worked, uh, my last team at Facebook was on the counter espionage team within the threat intelligence org. And at any given time, our team could only handle a third of the cases that we knew about. Okay. We knew that if we built even a basic detector, we would likely have many more cases.
1: OK, then let Similarly, me ask, you, oh, sure. yeah. Yeah, let me ask yeah. you this. So you look at the way that they have the data, but they're choosing to keep that data and advertise yeah. from it, right? Mm-hmm. You sell it to third parties. Mm-hmm. So what does Facebook do? You've got these 600,000 accounts that ought not to be on there. Mm -hmm. Probably more. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But then you delete those accounts. But what happens to that data? Does Mm -hmm. Facebook keep that data? Do they keep it until those children go to age 13? Since, as you're saying, they can work Mm -hmm. backward and figure out the true age of a, a user, so what do they do with it? Do they delete it? Do they store it? Do they keep it? How do they process that?
3: Um, I am My understanding of Facebook's data retention policies, and I wanna be really clear, I didn't work directly on that, is that they delete, when they delete an account, they delete all the data within, I believe, 90 okay. days in compliance with GDPR. Um, I, with regard to children underage on the platform, Facebook could do substantially more to detect more of those children, and they should have to publish for Congress those processes because there are lots of subtleties in those things, and they could be much more effective than probably what they're doing today.
1: Got it. Now, staying with this underage children, since this hearing is all about kids and about online privacy, I want you to tell me how Facebook is able to do market research on these children that are under age 13. Because Mrs. Davis was really, um, she didn't deny this last week. So how are they doing this? Do they uh, bring kids into focus groups with their parents? How do they get that permission? She said they got permission from parents. Is there a permission slip Mm. or a form that gets signed and then How do they know
3: which kids to target? Um, There's a bunch to unpack there. Uh, We'll start with maybe how do they recruit children for focus groups Um, or recruit recruit teenagers. Um, Most tech companies have systems where they can um, analyze the data that is on their servers. So most of the focus groups I read uh, or that I saw analysis of were around Messenger Kids, which has children on it. Um, and those focus groups appear to be children interacting in person. Um, often, large tech companies use either sourcing agencies that will go and identify people who meet certain demographic criteria, or they will reach out directly based on cri- uh, data on the platform. So, for example, on the case of Messenger Kids, maybe you would want to study a child that was an active user and one that was a less active user. You might reach out to some that came from each population, and so these
1: are children that are under age 13.
2: Yeah,
3: and they know it um, for for some of these studies, and I assume they get I assume they get permission, but I don't work on that. Okay,
1: well, we're still waiting to get a copy of yeah. that parental consent form that would involve children. Um, my time is expired, Mr. Chairman. I'll save my other questions for a second round if we're able to get
0: those. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Senator Blackburn. Senator Klobuchar.
4: Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Thank you so much, Ms. Hogan, for shedding a light on how Facebook time and time again has put profit over people. Uh, When their own research found that more than 13% of teen girls say that Instagram made their thoughts of suicide worse, what did they do? They proposed Instagram for kids, which has now been put on pause because of public pressure. Uh, When they found out that their algorithms are fostering polarization, misinformation, and hate... Um, that they allowed 99% of their violent contact to remain unchecked on their platform, including lead up to the January 6th insurrection. What did they do? They now, as we know, Mark Zuckerberg's going sailing and saying no apologies. I think the time has come for action, and I think you are the catalyst for that action. Um, You have said privacy legislation is not enough. I completely agree with you. But I think you know... We have not done anything to update our privacy laws in this country, our federal privacy laws. Nothing zilch in any major way. Why? Because there are lobbyists around every single corner of this building that have been hired by the tech industry. Mm -hmm. We have done nothing when it comes to making the algorithms more transparent, allowing for the university research that you referred to. Why? Because Facebook and the other tech companies are throwing a bunch of money around this town, and people are listening to them. We have done nothing significantly passed although we are on a bipartisan basis working in the antitrust subcommittee to get something done on consolidation Mm -hmm. which you understand Mm -hmm. allows the dominant platforms um, to control all this like the bullies in the neighborhood buy out the companies that maybe could have competed with them and added the bells and whistles so the time for action is now so I'll start I'll start with something that I asked Facebook's head of safety, when she testified before us last week, I asked her how they estimate the lifetime value of a user for kids who start using their products before they turn 13. She evaded the question and said, that's not the way we think about it. Is that right? Or is it your experience that Facebook estimates and and puts a value on how much money they get from users in general? I'll get to kids in a second. Is that a motivating force for them?
3: Um, based on what I saw in terms of allocation of integrity spending, so one of the things disclosed in the Wall Street Journal was that I believe it's like 87% of all the misinformation spending is spent on English, but only about like 9% of the users are English speakers. Um, it seems that, that Facebook invests more in users who make them more money, even though the danger may not be evenly distributed based on profitability.
4: Does it make sense that having a younger person get hooked on social media um, at a young age makes them more profitable over the long term, as they have a life ahead of them?
3: Facebook's internal documents talk about the importance of getting younger users, for example, tweens, onto Instagram, like Instagram kids, because they need to have, um, like, they know that children bring their parents online and things like that. And so yeah. they understand the value of younger users for the long-term success of Facebook.
4: Facebook reported advertising revenue to be $51.58 per user last quarter in the US and Canada. Uh, When I asked Ms. Davis how much of that came from Instagram users under 18, she wouldn't say. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think that teens are profitable for their company?
3: I would assume so, based on advertising for things like television. Do you have substantially higher advertising rates for customers who don't yet have preferences or habits? And so I'm I'm sure they're some of the more profitable users on Facebook, but I do not work directly on that.
4: Mm